Both the US and China have big plans for artificial intelligence, and it's easy to pit them as rivals against each other. But the truth is a bit more complicated. I'm Roger Chang, and this is your Daily Charge. With me is Allison Danisco Rayom, who wrote the first story in a new CNET series called Generation China. We're looking at some of the areas of tech where China is angling to be a leader, and Allison happens to be an expert in the area of AI. Thanks for joining me, Allison. Thanks for having me. So to kick things off, can you describe the dynamic between the U.S. and China when it comes to AI? Because a lot of folks want to call it or characterize it as an arms race, but that's not necessarily the case, right? Yeah, there's been this narrative of an AI arms race between the U.S. and China for years now, in part because the countries have taken different approaches to AI. But ultimately, AI is an umbrella term, and the U.S. and China are each ahead in certain elements of the technology. And they've also been really intertwined on their AI efforts, so one making progress hasn't necessarily been a loss for the other, though things may be changing a little bit now. Right. Let's dig into that, the different approaches. Like, where where is the U.S. stronger in AI, and where is China stronger? Like, what? how, how do their approaches differ? Well, in some ways, each country has what the other lacks. China has these massive amounts of data that you need to train AI and far more lax regulations around using it, so they can often start AI trials faster than you can in the US. But China still largely relies on US semiconductors and open source software to power their AI and machine learning algorithms. And while the US has the edge when it comes to quality research and universities and engineering talent, we see the top AI programs at schools like Stanford and MIT attract lots of Chinese students who then often go on to work for Google and Microsoft and Apple and Facebook, all of which have spent the last few years acquiring startups to improve their AI work. So there's a really interconnected system and a lot of different elements that go into it. Got it. And, and in terms of how they're linked together, like, is there uh, how much cooperation is there between the two countries and really the, the companies that are based in each country? So we see a lot of talent sharing between the US and China um, and all of these big companies. There's also a lot of use of open source software that was created in the US, like say Facebook PyTorch that's used widely across China. So again, there's really a lot of interconnectedness there. And AI is obviously, it's an important area of tech and there are a lot of companies focused on it. And it feels like one of those buzzwords we are constantly hearing about uh, give us just a rundown of what the landscape looks like, uh, both here and in China. So in China, we've seen that AI efforts have largely been driven by the government. There's a national strategic development plan and lots of federal money invested with the goal of becoming that world power by 2030. Meanwhile, in the US, most work in AI has come from the private sector and the big tech companies like Google and Facebook. So one analyst told me that China has seen how the tech industry in the U.S. and all of these Silicon Valley companies exert this soft influence around the world. And China's economy was built on manufacturing, but now it really wants to diversify and showcase innovation and strength. And AI is a good way to do that. Yeah, I know that following a bunch of Chinese companies, particularly the phone makers, they're always constantly talking about AI. I, I know uh, some reports have, have said that, I think Gartner said that, uh, the adoption of AI among Chinese companies is has three or four times the rate of sort of the, the global average. Um, so definitely a lot more usage of AI there. Um, so your, your story points to a few catalysts for China's drive to invest in AI, uh, a few moments in history. Well, what sparked their interest? China's interest in AI really started ramping up back in 2016. That was when Google's AlphaGo machine learning system was able to beat the human world champion at the strategic game of Go. And this was something that was broadcast throughout China, and it really sparked a lot of interest because it showed that this tech was advancing really quickly. 
and because the game of Go involves some warlike strategies and tactics that AI could potentially be useful for decision-making and warfare someday. So then a few months after that, the Obama administration released a few reports on preparing for a future with AI, which laid out a strategic plan. And some Chinese policymakers took this as a sign that the U.S. was further ahead in terms of AI strategy. So then in 2017, the Chinese government released its own development plan with the goal of China becoming the world leader in AI by 2030 and investing tons of money in startups and research parks. But then, of course, China's fears about a grand U.S. AI plan didn't really come to fruition. In 2019, Donald Trump released an American AI executive order, which called on the heads of federal agencies to prioritize AI research and development in their budgets. But it didn't really provide any new funding to support that or many details on how to actually implement those plans. And not much else has really happened here at the federal level since then. Instead, the private sector is still continuing to lead U.S. AI development here. Got it. It, it. it didn't seem like the U.S. could really replicate the the kind of government push to make AI a priority. It really is kind of leaning on individuals like Google or Apple to to really keep us at pace with China. Exactly. It's just a different system and structure setup. Right. So, you know, obviously one of the big wrenches thrown into everything is the coronavirus, right? Uh, China was obviously hit first uh, back in December. How did uh, how did the coronavirus play into China's use of AI? Was it, especially given all the the investment and the time put into AI, was it ultimately you know sort of a useful solution to the coronavirus problem? Since the pandemic hit, China has turned to some of its AI and big data tools to help mitigate the impact. Um, that's involved things like contact tracing, diagnostic tools, and even drones that enforce social distancing. But analysts told me that it can be difficult to fully understand what's going on there and what the impact has been because there is still a lot of propaganda. Um, One source told me that he saw people sharing stories about China using drones to fly along high-rise buildings and take people's temperatures through the window. But the reality was more like when you enter a building in Shanghai, you take your temperature with a thermometer. So you've got to be careful to cut through some of the hype. But I think it is safe to say that especially when it comes to things like medical imaging, some of that AI work has helped and paid off for them when dealing with this crisis. Gotcha. And then, you know, looking at the ethical quandaries, I think we're all a little bit more skeptical about technology in general right now, given, you know, what's been going on with the backlash against facial recognition, um, the fact that social media is sort of dealing with its own reckoning. AI has the potential for a lot of ethical issues. I'm curious how uh, or what the differences are between how the U.S. is dealing with those uh, versus China's approach. Yeah, the U.S. is definitely still grappling with the ethical issues raised by AI. Like you said, there are a lot of privacy, security, surveillance concerns involved when you're talking about things like facial recognition. And meanwhile, China has made these major pushes to apply facial recognition to policing and surveillance and has millions of cameras set up that use the tech to identify and arrest criminal suspects sometimes. So we're less willing to do that in the U.S., at least at this point. But then again, just this year, we saw U.S. law enforcement using that Clearview AI facial recognition app, which had gathered people's social media photos without their consent and used them to make a database that helps identify suspects. So that company's facing a lawsuit now, but it was still happening here. So it'll be interesting to see how that develops in the next year or so. And what about in, in China? It just seems like they're a lot more willing to use the technology for different things. They're obviously you know, uh, reports about potential human rights violations, using technology like facial recognition and AI, like what, what does it look like out there? 
Exactly. Yeah. In China, they have been much more willing to use facial recognition AI for things like policing and surveillance. Like I said, I think there's something like 200 million security cameras set up across the country now that's used to potentially arrest criminal suspects based on their facial profile. So there are a lot of concerns about human rights violations, but there's also a lot that we still don't know about what's going on there. Gotcha. And you know, you've talked the story mostly is about how you know, despite the characterization of an arms race, you know, China and U.S. have generally worked together over the last couple of years to to develop AI. There's been kind of a codependent relationship. It's been very entangled, uh, but that's that's changing. And towards the end of the story, you sort of talk about how the political and economic tensions that are going on right now uh, are, are are changing things. So, like, what what is happening now? What, what and what does that shift look like? Well, the U.S.-China trade war began to escalate last year, and as that happened, investor confidence in China started dropping. So we actually saw investments in AI in China drop, too. Then in January, the Trump administration made it harder for U.S. companies to export certain types of AI software in an effort to limit Chinese access to American technology. So this has all really spurred the Chinese government to start reducing its reliance on foreign tech. So it's starting to develop its own domestic startups and adopt more open-source solutions. Like we've seen cloud AI giants like Alibaba using open source computing models to develop their own data center chips instead of getting those from the U.S. And the pandemic is also a turning point, I think, in terms of the U.S. recognizing the risks of interdependence with China. We'll probably see the immediate impact in areas like pharmaceuticals and medical equipment manufacturing, but it'll eventually influence AI, too, because that does cut across so many different areas. Definitely. And I guess lastly, they're still working together now. But it's it's getting harder and harder. I mean, when do you think we'll actually see a, a full split in which, you know, we, we, we really will come to a point where this does become an arms race? The experts I interviewed for this story believe that a full separation between the U.S. and China isn't going to happen anytime soon, especially when it comes to AI. Um, one of the problems with referring to all of this as an arms race in the first place is that so many of these basic platforms and algorithms and data sources are open source, so anyone can use them. And the U.S. is still the world's AI superpower right now, the experts say, but the trade war may eventually harm American AI companies by lessening U.S. leverage and creating more separate ecosystems. So while the U.S. government is imposing pain on Chinese companies now, long term, that could speed up investments within China so they're no longer giving business to American companies. But in the end, arm race still isn't exactly the best metaphor for this really complex and interconnected relationship that we're going to see continue to develop in interesting ways in the next couple of years. No, I think that's a good thought to end on that the you know the temptation to paint something as black and white as an arms race that's almost generally never the case when talking about a situation as complicated as the U.S.-China relationship. All right. If you have any questions, drop us a line at The Daily Chart on Twitter, and you can check out Allison's story and the entire Generation China series, which runs through the rest of this month on CNET.com. For The Daily Charge, I'm Roger Chang. Thanks for listening. <laughs>